Hey guys, my guest tonight, Jason McLeod, is going to be talking about his work investigating the paranormal and working side-by-side with Ed and Lorraine Warren. Be right back. Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? One more day to Friday this week. Short week anyway, but one more day to Friday. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based on the Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means we can help you out. It may take us a while. California is like this huge state, but we will get to you eventually. And in the case that we can't get you, you know, which eventually, within a couple of days, I don't mean eventually, like way down the line. Um, and in the case that we can't get to you right away, we do have mediums on staff who can phone you. And if, if stuff going on in, in your home or office or whatever is paranormal, and some in most cases they, they can calm it down until we get out there to deal with it. So, uh, you know, that's how, that's how we operate. Like I said, California is a big state. If you do need to find us, just Google California Haunts Radio and California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, and you will find us in various locations. All right, that being said, if you're watching tonight from Facebook, and a lot of you are, and you haven't done so already, and you end up liking what you see in here, please uh, give us a thumbs up, happy faces, heart, you know, show us some love. Also, if you haven't done so already, please feel free to uh, follow, because we're always looking for followers. Same thing with YouTube. We're over on YouTube. Uh, we have 900 videos sitting over there, all this show that we've done over the last four years, all different topics. I've started to put everything into categories so you guys can find the shows. If you like Medium Nancy Matt, she's got her own category. If you're into uh, demons, demonic stuff, or anything like that, that that we've been talking about, that's got its own category, etc., etc. There's also topics on there that aren't paranormal-related. I'm a journalist, photojournalist by trade, and I like to do different types of stories, like uh, we've done stuff on, on, the, on the opioid crisis and and uh, just outside stuff, you know, so uh, animal cruelty, things like that. I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to change it up. Okay, napping, and also, same thing for YouTube. If you haven't done so already, it's free to subscribe. I'm trying to get to that 1,000 subscribers. We're getting really close. I can just taste it now. So help me out with that. And the same thing, happy faces, you know, show me some love. Ha- happy faces, you know, thumbs up, hearts, whatever you can do over there. Plus, if you guys talk amongst yourselves in the chat room, that also puts us up higher in the FYP, and it will throw us out to, you know, the, the, the uh, computers at Facebook and YouTube see this, and it throws us out to a much wider audience if they see that stuff. You know, you might be at home right now having dinner. You might be at home winding down for the night, depending on your location. You know, sit down on the couch, put your fuzzies on, and uh, grab some hot cocoa or, meet, or grab your dinner and uh, join us for the night. Dim those lights, and, might, and maybe there's somebody else in the house that might be interested tonight. We'll see, okay? All right, my guest tonight, Jason McLeod, has a very unique background for paranormal investigating, and he's going to tell us about some, you know, some of his cases that he's worked on, 
And he's also going to talk about working with Ed Lorraine Warren. I have mentors just as well. A lot of paranormal investigators do have people they feel are mentors. Uh, Glory Young from Ghost Trackers of the Bay Area. That was one of my mentors. Dave and Ann Bender here in Sacramento at the time they were with API. American Paranormal Investigations. I, I initially started ghost hunting with them. And uh, I count them as my mentors as well. And so it'll be interesting to hear what Jason has to say about his mentors, right? I also have John Zaffis. You know, John Zaffis and I, I've never been ghost hunting with him or anything, but he's always been there to pick up the phone when, when I call for advice on, on different things. So, I mean, there's always a mentor out there. So I'm really excited to talk with Jason. So let's get Jason on and get this show on the road, you guys. Here we go. Hello. Hello. My first time meeting you. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good to be good. here. Tell us about you. Tell us about me. Well, I uh, always believed in ghosts. I was always studying about spirit phenomena. I was always uh, in the middle school and high school library studying about uh, mythology and spirits and so forth. And uh, I wanted to go to um, Emerson College or Roger Williams College in Rhode Island for an English creative writing degree. <clears throat> and I was uh, basically forced to go to uh, Eastern Connecticut State University where I had to read Life After Life by Dr. Raymond Moody. The entire freshman class had to read that book, which was just a, still a mind bender to me because why would an entire incoming freshman class have to read Life After Life by Dr. Raymond Moody, mm -hmm. uh, which was about near-death experience studies. But that was a perfect synchronicity that really added another piece to the puzzle, studying what happens when, when people vacate the physical body during a near-death mm -hmm. experience, whether on their, they're on an operating table or in a car accident and so forth. And it was amazing. And uh, let me back up four years or the, the year prior. I read The Demonologist when I was a senior in high school. It was about mm -hmm. Ed Lorraine Warren's right. most terrifying cases. And I lived in Connecticut. I was in Westport at the time. And I actually grew up uh, for part of the, my life in Monroe, in the actual town that the Warrens lived in. But I'd never met them and never you know, attended any of their lectures and so forth. I read their book and I was terrified for the families, especially the children who are experiencing these horrific attacks inside their own homes. I mean, how terrible mm -hmm. would that be uh, when there's nowhere else to to run to? And I put the book back on the shelf. I wasn't interested in getting involved at that point, nor that I really I didn't really know how to. But the mm -hmm. seed was planted. Right. And then I was with my friend Lou uh, four years later. I went to Eastern Connecticut State U and uh, I took a year and a half off and I uh, was sitting with my friend Lou in his car. We were listening to the radio. Um, this is in 1990 about the uh, this case that the Warrens were investigating. And I turned to Lou and I said, that'd be so cool to work with them. And he said, yeah, no kidding. Lou was a former army combat medic with the rank of captain. He was actually a high ranking paramedic in the Norwalk, Connecticut EMS system. And he called me the next day and he said, you aren't going to believe who just called me. Who? Ed Warren. I'm like, what? You know, Ed was having heart issues. He called the chief of EMS for a medic to be referred to their team. And he said, I'm going to go to their Monday night class, you know, at their home. And I said, you have to get me in there. It's time. It wasn't time, you know, in 1990 as a senior in high school. So he went and told Lorraine all about this synchronicity. And she knows all about synchronicities. The synchronicity is something where the universe or God or your angels or your guys are are putting things together for you. A coincidence mm -hmm. is just a random series of events. So she said, okay, invite Jason next Monday. 
And I got to go and I met her. And the very first question she asked me was, how strong is your faith, honey? It was, you know, after she introduced herself, hi, Jason, I'm Lorraine Warren. How strong is your faith, honey? And just looking right through me. And I responded instantly, well, I have immense faith. I believe that I and the Father are one. And she nodded and smiled. And she asked, why do you want to get involved in work of this nature? Mm-hmm. And to her, it was always of this nature, right? The spirit phenomena. And I, I said, I read the demonologist and I was uh, very concerned for the families, especially the young children. And I want to help. And she asked, so it's a calling then. And I said, I think it is. And she welcomed me aboard. And that's how I first got involved. And it was like I stepped into the wizard's tower at that point, you know, just this incredible couple. Um, and all of the investigators are very serious people. This is 1990 before cell phones, before selfies, mm-hmm. you know, before anybody trying to make a name for themselves because they get they get a, a spirit photograph. But they were very serious about unlocking the secrets of the universe, <laughs> and, you know, especially with this, this paranormal phenomena taking place. And I couldn't have asked for a more amazing people um, uh, to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the Warrens, of course, but also there are other investigators, many of which I'm uh, still friends with to this day. I know John, of course, John Zaffis, their nephew, mm-hmm. the godfather of the paranormal. And uh, but I was with them when it, when you know he was working with them, and he was he was in at it before I was for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was great. After reading the book, you know, when you start to hang out with them, how realistic was was that that particular book? You know, as opposed to how how, how they were out in the field. Uh, I mean, I read the demonologist. It was about cases that I had never experienced, so I can't even comment on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been some negative press about them lately about that and so forth. And again, I, I'm only going to talk from my perspective, but Absolutely. my perspective was is that Lorraine was very, very serious about uh, the safety of her investigators. In fact, mm-hmm. she would call cases off or, or call them off uh, earlier than expected when things were getting hairy because they only really got involved in the very serious cases. They mm-hmm. dispatched mm-hmm. all their students to the less uh, serious cases where we would gather evidence and then present them. And we'd all go over it together in a classroom situation in their, in their outbuilding by their home. And uh, that was amazing. But Ed was always cracking jokes. He was very serious. They were very devout Catholics. Um, they approached everything through the Catholic uh, methodology. I specialize now in something that Ed taught me how to do personally, which is suffumigation, which is basically the, the blessing of homes and places using high church incense, prayer, mm-hmm. bless candles and prayer and holy water. You know, blessing for your home and for your all the energy in the house. Mm-hmm. But they were amazing. And uh, I have nothing but the highest uh, respect for them. And I'm blessed beyond measure to have been able to call them my friends and mentors since 1990 and uh it's just been a, a an amazing experience and now i'm actually re um i'm basically writing about and publishing um books about mm-hmm. our cases together now when i was a, in college at sacred heart university i didn't go back to eastern but i went to east i went to sacred heart to pull my grades up mm-hmm. yeah, for a semester and i wrote a column called hauntings for the uh sacred heart spectrum newspaper about our cases together you can actually mm-hmm. find those on my website, darksiege.com, under the hauntings tab. And you'll actually see the newsprint articles that I wrote. But I was actually, actually chronicling our cases together because it was a Catholic university and the students and the staff were very interested in knowing, learning, you know, what's going on. I had this right. inside information, if you will. And so that's all, you know, uh, recorded, which is great because I picked up the same column when I transferred out to Eastern Washington University. Mm-hmm. Um 
because they got wind that I'd worked with the Warrens and we actually flew them out. The, the university flew them out to do the conduct their lecture. We toured the campus uh, in Spokane, the most haunted areas there. I was the president of my fraternity at the time, Sigma Phi Epsilon. So I got to have them to the house and we got a cake for them and so forth. And those photos are also on my website as well. But uh, it's just a good way to chronicle the history of uh, what it was like to work with them uh, when I was at uh, Sacred Heart. And then actually the Warrens called me to investigate a case in Idaho on their behalf after they left because I was just 30 minutes away. Mm -hmm. um, so I was closer geographically. And I, that was the first time I was actually functioning as their single lead investigator on this case. And I was thrilled and it was phenomenal. So I'm writing a book about that now called Rage in Rathdrum because it was Rathdrum, Idaho. And there were just so many particulars that were amazing. But people will be really fascinated to learn about that. As you started to learn from them, what, 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 what were the steps they took you through first? Ed took me on my first demonic case. Um, it wasn't even a case. He actually drove me. Uh, we went in his car to a home. And we, he asked if I sensed anything outside the home. And I said, something feels. He didn't tell me what was going on, by the way. Mm -hmm. I said, something feels off about it. I can't really place it. And we went into the house and he opened the door, went into the kitchen and he opened the door to the garage, to the um, basement mm -hmm. and he pointed down there. And so I walked down there and, uh, you know, I got down the stairs to the basement level and he uh, turned off the light and closed the door and chuckled on the other side. And I said, okay. So I just closed my eyes in the darkness and just tried to reach out with my senses and my feelings. Because Lorraine said, the more you're involved in cases of this nature, mm -hmm. the more your antenna, so to speak, will start to become tweaked. Mm -hmm. And you'll start to, uh, you know, we'll find out what your what your uh, abilities are as we go forward. And I didn't believe I had any at the time. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see spirit. You know, I've read enough about near-death experiences and, and the spirit phenomenon and so forth. I really wanted to see one. But how are we really seeing it? That's what people need to understand. So we are fields of awareness, temporarily animating what we what we appeared, uh -huh. what appears to be a physical body, though quantum physics has proven that nothing is really physical at all. And all hauntings begin in the mind. So I'll get into that in okay. a minute. But okay. um, I, you know, he opened the door about three minutes later and asked me to come upstairs. And I did. And I, I knew that was a test in a way, too, because I could have freaked out and run up the stairs. Let me out. Let me out. You know, uh -huh. um, but I didn't. I've always known I was protected as well. And, it, and it's just an innate knowing when I, when Lorraine asked me, how strong is your faith, honey? That's the key important thing right here is she was very concerned with how faithful people are and how well they're protected due to that faith, especially if they were to go on cases that are in a, a demoniacal nature, mm -hmm. they would never allow anybody who was not to come with them because it would put themselves at risk and the rest of the, the group at risk, including mm -hmm. both Ed and Lorraine. So like the weak chink in the armor, if you will. But I went on my uh, first demonic case with several other members of the original New England Society for Psychic Research. Mm -hmm. um, and we were sitting in the living room and on the landing to the stairs, they just uh, drew Thompson, who's a friend of mine to this day, amazing psychic. Um, the two of them were spotting this black form on the stairs on the landing and it was blacker than the deepest midnight blackness. It was, it would, it's, it showed out, to, it, it made its presence known even in a pitch black room. And out of my pocket, I withdrew blessed rosary beads that my grandmother had given me and they have to be glow in the dark. Mm -hmm. And I pulled them out as a protection measure. And somebody asked, Jason, what did you do? Right? And I said, 
And they said, he has rosary beads. Put them away quick, Donna shouts, right? And I'm like, oh, God. And then I'm fumbling with them, you know, because they're long, to put right, them in my right, pocket right. and fit them in my hand and stick back in my pocket. But apparently when I pulled those out, it went right up to me. And I didn't sense it, didn't feel it. Wow. But when I put them back in my pocket, right back up to the stairs. And on Monday night, I asked Ed, you know, well, what could have happened? He said, your intention, which is the most important thing, was mm -hmm. self-preservation, not not to challenge it, right? And if I had done so, I, 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 he said it could have attacked you. And I said, well, what could it have done, you know? And it could have burned you, scratched you, teleported you, smothered you, any number of things. And I was like, I, I feel like I'm really well protected. And nothing did happen. But I didn't challenge it. I wasn't saying I challenge you in the name of Jason McLeod, which would have been completely foolish. Then I would have been attacked, maybe. Um, it, just like Ed says, he never challenged anything in the name of Ed Warren. It was always in the name of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So that was my first encounter with that type of situation. Um, the most amazing case, the most fascinating thing is, though, is that backing up, because you asked what my first uh, cases were right. working with them. But the ironic thing is that the first night of my class and what would be the second night, second class for Lou, mm -hmm. they told us about a husband and wife who had bought a home, you, you know, an older home. They claimed an apparition would walk out of their wall every evening, walk down the hallway, scare the baby out of its mind, walk through the wall, through the baby's crib. And, and you know, that would be that. So they assigned Lou and I to our first case. For me, it was my first class. And for mm -hmm. Lou, it was his second. And I was like, wow, you know? So I went and borrowed my mother's camcorder. We pointed it at the wall where the um, this apparition would allegedly come through every night, drew the blinds, lit some candles. Um, we waited in the in the baby's room, both the husband and, I, husband and wife and Lou and I, waiting to see this apparition. I said, I'm finally going to see a ghost because they see it every night. Why wouldn't we see it? Mm -hmm. And we saw this bright blue flash of light, like lightning had gone off in that room. And we were all like, wow, you know, confirming that we all saw that. And I said, okay, that's the doorway opening. And we're going to see this woman walking down the hallway now, you know, waiting mm -hmm. with bated breath and nothing happened. So we all decided to go back into that, that room and we all smelled a sickly sweet almond smell. Didn't know what to make of that. Um, we retreated back into the baby's room and exactly 30 minutes later, because I was taking notes, another flash of light. And upon re-entering the room, the smell was half as intense, but still no apparition walked down the hallway. We were all gravely disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, and then we all wanted to see what we caught on the tape before we left, because I thought it would be so bright, we wouldn't even know where it originated from. Mm -hmm. There was absolutely nothing. When you hear my voice say, we've heard, we've just experienced the second flash of light. We're like, you've got to be kidding. So we didn't know what to make, make of that. But Lou, the paramedic, detected three distinct heartbeats in succession. Wow. And he turned white as a ghost, pun intended. Wow. But it freaked him out so bad. And now there was never any physical body close enough to the camcorder when these heartbeats were detected, nor was it sensitive enough to pick up a heartbeat beating in somebody's chest, right? Who was just standing in the room. So how can this be? Right? We went right, to the exactly. What? I've, I've never heard of that. I've never heard okay. of the heartbeat like that. For, yeah. For so we, we had the next class that following Monday night, this is my second, this is Lou's third. Mm -hmm. And Lorraine basically described that the spirit was there. She wasn't going to give us evidence in the form of a full-fledged uh, materialization that the camcorder mm -hmm. would pick up. But she broadcast this bright blue flash of light, bypassing our physical eyes directly into our pineal gland. 
and I was alluding to that earlier. Where do we, what are we really seeing when we're seeing a ghost and, and or UFO or any of these, you know, cryptids or any of these things? So our our pineal gland has aptly been called the third eye throughout history. It's especially you know common in India. Um, it's got rods and cones. It's photosensitive. It's how we have full color dreams when we're sleeping in a pitch black room with our eyes closed. It's how we daydream and see movies in our minds. It's our interdimensional interface with higher planes of existence, the higher dimensions. That's where we receive our inspiration and all of our creativity and so forth and communication and ideas. Um, the thoughts that somebody's looking behind us, so looking at us from behind and we'll see them. Right. Anyway, so they broadcast that and she broadcasts that into our third eyes, bypassing our physical eyes, bypassing the aperture on the camera. But the heartbeats were actually imprinted on the electromagnetic tape of the VHS tape for Lou. Now, Ed would have caught them because he studies everything meticulously, um, mm -hmm. but we, we missed it and uh, we weren't even listening for that. But he's, he's just trained. It's like, it's like a sixth sense for him to listen for heartbeats and so forth. So anyway, he was spooked pretty much out of the door at that point. What really scared him out of his mind was when we all went to Dudley Town, which is that cursed village in Cornwall, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And he saw this thing running, you know, peeking behind a tree. And he did, he's this huge, big, burly Italian guy with a big mustache. And he's like, get me the hell out of here. I can't take it anymore. Um, anyway, so that was my first case working for the Warrens. Um, and then I described what I did with Ed at my first uh, drive-by and then into that home. And then the actual demonic case where I worked uh, with other investigators. Very interesting. And I was just thinking about this. You know, we very rarely came across demonic. Maybe in the last 18 years, maybe four or five, if that, you know, that I could say was something really dark. Mm -hmm. um, how were they able, able I, I know you guys had Lorraine, obviously, but how were you able to... Um, figure out whether it was demonic or an angry ghost so based upon the activity that was being presented you have all the classic uh activity like you know uh drastic temperature changes awful disgusting uh stenches like the, the mm -hmm. sense of sense of death and so or, or just dead animals and things um mm -hmm. you know uh growling banging um and if people are people are involved just a weighted a heavy weighted feeling over the place of course and that's how people are affected first when they're, when they're being oppressed is you'll just feel this heavy weight on your head and you just feel like, you know, you're in a fog, you're in this daze and you can't, you know, you're just feeling awful. Like you're coming down with the flu at some point. Um, and uh, Ed would always basically based upon the activity that was taking place, he would mm -hmm. determine whether or not religious provocation would be, would work um, to basically force them to reveal themselves. Now, again, they only got involved personally in the very, very serious cases. So I'm going to give you an example. Sure. Um, we became aware of a case in uh, Vermont, in Brattleboro, where the family actually fled their house because it was just too intense. And I had offered to drive my mother's brand new Dodge Caravan as the youngest and newest member of the New England Society for Psychic Research. Mm -hmm. um, I decided I would you know, drive Ed and Lorraine and four others, including myself, up to Vermont, and then the other car would follow. Mm -hmm. And I got up that morning, Saturday, November 17th, got into the van that I'd done something I'd never done before. Or I was guided to do something that I had never done before. And that is, I said, I put my hands on the steering wheel and I said, I washed this van in the blood of Jesus Christ, that we are protected on our journey and that we are protected on our journey home and in, you know, in every way. Amen. Mm -hmm. And I said, that was really strange. I have never done that before. 
And I got on the Merritt Parkway heading northbound. Um, it's a two-lane north, two-lane south, beautiful parkway. Early in the morning, there's a car racing up behind me. I see in my rearview mirror, and I said, okay, he's probably, I'm in Westport, so it's probably a Porsche or something, and he's going to go blasting by. And I said, mm -hmm. that's fine. And he goes right up to me and then matches my speed exactly. And I'm like, what's he doing? You know, I'm, I'm a young guy. I'm trying to make, you know, in my mom's brand new car. I want to make sure nothing awful happens. Right. And all of a sudden it's like the car is just, you know, he's matching my speed. I would speed up, I'd speed down a bit and he'd be there. And then before my eyes, it's like the car just leapt a car length ahead of me. Wow. And then he's maintaining speed one full car length ahead of me, maybe, maybe close to two, I guess at this point. And before my eyes, I start seeing this car start to shake, like to vibrate and then shake. Right. And then start to fishtail like he's losing control and then white smoke coming out from behind the tires, literally fishtailing left and right. And then he goes right into my lane at a 90 degree angle. And I plowed on, I hit the brakes and I plowed right into him. And he said, it's like, a, I got out to see if he was all right. And he, he's spitting safety glass out of his mouth. And he's like, it's like, I, like I had solid ice. Mm -hmm. And the state police came and they said there's no ice on the roads and they couldn't understand why he said why he lost control because they saw all the skid marks and they gave him a ticket. Luckily, the van was still drivable, but there were no cell phones. Mm -hmm. So by the time I got to the uh, two exits up to the payphone that I knew was at exit 44 and I called the warrants from the payphone, I said, you know, I'm terribly sorry that I'm late, but I was I was in an accident. And there was a long pause. And Lorraine said, tell me exactly what happened. And I did. And I hear them conversing in the background. And she asked, are you still willing to continue? And I said, yes, the, the van's drivable. I can be there in 20 minutes. Um, so she asked, come, you know, come right into the house when you come, when you arrive. So I, there I went and drove and pulled in and everybody's looking at their watch. Like, you know, I think Zaphis was looking at his watch, like making fun of me, like I had overslept or something like that. And um, walked inside and they basically were very, very, very concerned um, Lorraine almost decided to call the case off completely because if something could seize control of a car and fling it into my lane, which is what she discerned happened, then we are on danger, grave danger mm -hmm. when we go up to face whatever's in the house. They want to basically prevent us from going there in the first place. And I believe that's why I played, I was guided to pray over the van. I'd never done it before ever. And mm -hmm. I do it all the time now. So we ended up going up there. And we turned on all the heat, which was a mistake because that allowed energy to be generated that they could use against us later. It was a full mm -hmm. moon. Um, and anyway, the history of the case is there was a, a young woman who was going into labor 150 years prior, being rushed to the house via a horse, a horse and wagon to the midwife to, to have the baby delivered. And the wagon flipped and her body was mangled, as was the unborn baby's body. But her last conscious thought was get to the house. And this all locked into place for me because that's exactly what I was reading through Dr. Raymond Moody's work and also mm -hmm. Dr. Edith Fiore's work, The Unquiet Dead, um, and how quickly we move when we're out of, outside of the body. Mm -hmm. So here she's lurking on the property and in, in immense grief to her, it just happened. There's no space or time outside of the third dimension. So to her, this tragedy just took place. Where's my baby? Where's my baby is what she's feeling. I can't imagine mm -hmm. the grief a woman would feel. Um, so, and, uh, so we were basically, uh, initiating a, um, we want, we're all sitting around the table. Oh, let me back up. We were in the field investigating. 
where this accident took place. And I was the last one to go toward the house. And I turned around. I felt like she was standing behind me, right? Um, and she said, I said, come back to the house with us, right? And to her, maybe it was like, oh, he could see me, right? And I made that connection mm -hmm. with her that I didn't realize I did. Mm -hmm. um, but she basically, we were all in the house. We're starting to initiate contact. Ed was asking the spirits to lift the table to try to gauge what we're dealing with because Lorraine was seeing this tall man in a, a tall man in a black top hat, this woman, Priscilla, in this old dress, um, period dress, and others, right? Globs and things like that. And Andy mm -hmm. or Drew Thompson was seeing them too. And I was like, I want to see, you know, they're seeing these apparitions. Like I want to, I want to be clairvoyant. I'd, I'd love to be able to see this with my own third eye or my physical eyes. But instead the table was, it started to vibrate just like mm -hmm. the car started to vibrate. It started to shake. It started to wobble. It started to lift off and literally was banging on all four legs. Now the audio is available for this exact moment on my website under uh, mysterious world TV came and filmed the documentary for my chapter analysis section of dark siege of Connecticut family's nightmare, which talks about everything that we're talking about tonight so far but also that case. So darksiege.com is my website and you can click on this poster. It says Mysterious World TV, the Dark Siege documentary chapter analysis. It's like a $3.99 download. It's an hour long and it's beautifully done, but mm -hmm. it is absolutely terrifying um, what takes place during this situation. Everybody thought, everybody's around the table experienced something completely different. You'll hear Ed and Lorraine Warren in action. You'll hear one of our investigators screaming, it's coming, it's coming. Um, it's amazing. So uh, the uh, most fascinating and the most um, deeply disturbing uh, psychic experience happened to me on that case. And basically the table's lifting all over the place. It dies down. And then you hear Lorraine saying it's using all of its energy up, right? And then it needs mm -hmm. to re-energize itself. And then all of a sudden it starts to wobble again. And I go, Lorraine, this sadness and literally just bawled my eyes out. I could not contain my tears and the grief that I felt, this unbelievable grief that she felt. I was picking that up. And Lorraine said, that's empathy, Jason. You know, and that turned out to be my main, one of my first abilities, I guess, is empathy. And it's a blessing and a curse because I got to feel all that grief. But that changed my life because to see her would have been cool, right? <laughs> right. To feel her emotional state and what she's what she's having to deal with changed my life and it made me really feel for all these people and that's my now my mission of course is to help all these poor people understand mm -hmm. that you know you turned away from the light that comes for everybody because you wanted to you know find your child but the conscious awareness that was going to come and fuse with the body of the baby once it was mm -hmm. born and took its first breath which is when this happens according to all of my experience and studies um, either never came down and fused with the baby permanently or it crossed over immediately realizing its lifetime was not going to be possible. Mm -hmm. But to her, she's in this state of an unbelievable grief trying to find this child, unborn child, and I can't imagine anything more terrible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you know that you were sensitive before getting in, in, into this kind of work or was it something no, that happened no. because you got around more people that were sensitive because that happened to me. I was sensitive as a kid. And then I kind of put it on the back burner. And then when I started hanging out with paranormal investigators, it started to come out. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I didn't know. And she said, you know, one of the first things she said is, you know, so Ed was really, I was training as a demonologist under Ed. He was teaching me about all the activity that takes place and how to identify it, how to deal with it. Um, and it always involves the clergy. That's the thing is people don't understand is Ed was a demonologist. Neither he or Lorraine, he or Lorraine were exorcists. Although we have, we had Bishop McKenna. Uh, we had Father Malachi Martin. You know, he just is, he wrote the hostage to the devil um, and others. And uh, they were the ones that would deal with the actual exorcisms if that needed to take place. But we would handle the, like again, my specialty was the suffumigation. I really um, did that. I actually did that in the case in Idaho. And what's fascinating is that every time I started it in a new, a different room in the house, the telephone would ring three times as a, as a distraction. Always three is always the mock of the Trinity in that, in this mm -hmm. regard, because these, these forces do not want to be expelled from the house. But, um, you know, it's a it's an amazing thing. And, and suffumigation works because you're using high church incense, mm -hmm. which is a very uh, pleasant perfumed smoke, but it's a high vibrational smoke. So you're raising the vibration of your living space all the way up into the corners of each room by letting the smoke just billow everywhere. Um, you have to make sure your fire alarm fire detectors are turned off. But uh, you just flood the house in every nook and cranny. And it's like to them, to the demonic, to the negative, vibe, the low vibrational entities, it's like the smell of a skunk. You can't wait to get out of the, out of its range because it's mm -hmm. so overpowering and, and revolting. It's the opposite for them where you're, you're flooding the, the room with high church, high vibrational energy. Um, it's, you know, it repels them just like, uh, you know, fascinating. Let's talk, let's talk about... Um the house cleansings, you know, as far as exercising a house, because I mean, he, uh, you know, Ed was not an exorcist, that would be a Catholic church thing, right. but you know, people see this stuff on TV or in the movies, and they don't realize how long it could take to do this to a place. Can, can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, I mean, if if it's so, everything everything is intention, right? If you have the faith and the power, you know that you're protected. You know that you are acting as a conduit of Creator's energy mm -hmm. of God's. Mm -hmm power and love to go in there and affect change is much more potent and powerful than somebody who really doesn't believe that they're actually going to be able to be effective or that they're worthy of it, right? Or that they're novices and they could screw things up. So everything is your intention and, and your awareness about what your mission is. And for me, I always took it very seriously. I've always taken everything very seriously. Um, my fraternity, especially, I, I learned the whole ritual and, um, you know, the, the, uh, you know, official meetings and, and the actual um, initiation. I memorized it all. Mm -hmm. And to me, speaking from the heart, you know, especially in politics and all this stuff, if you can't speak from the heart and tell people how it is from your own point of view and from your own perspective, then it's not as, as potent, I believe. But the suffumigation, um, you can use sage. I mean, sage is a very high frequency smoke. That's what the American Indians used. It's, uh, mm -hmm. again, green. And everything is frequency. Color is frequency. So, the, it's the green white smoke is just very powerful um lavender for instance is a very high vibrational um color uh, so you have um, amethyst crystals mm -hmm. um, are very good at defending you and protecting against negative energies and, and it's the deeper color which is more important than the size mm -hmm. but that's why catholic priests wear purple stoles during ex exorcism and during um confession to help block all this stuff that's being dumped upon them but as far as the homes, I was always been very successful in clearing homes. Uh, I worked with Bill Bean, the spiritual warrior, on a case mm -hmm. up in uh, upstate New York. Mm 
And we were very effective working together using blessed salt and holy water and prayer and, and intention. Prayer and intention are the same. So if you pray from a statement of lack, oh, God, please come help. Please come help. Uh, I need help with this and help with that. Um, it's basically a very weak prayer. You're not even you're basically saying, I don't know if you're hearing this, if I'm worthy of being heard, if you're going to listen, if you're going to come and help me and in what capacity or when. But I'll give it a whirl versus mm -hmm. saying, thank you, Archangel Michael, for being here now. Right. Mm -hmm. Before you even finish the sentence, you know that it's it's the case. He's here with you now for drawing your sword and for cutting any for cutting away any cords that I have accumulated with any spirits who seek to do me harm mm -hmm. or are draining my energy or here for nefarious purposes. Thank you for cleansing my home, for closing any doorways that I have opened intentionally or unintentionally through the use of Ouija boards, for instance, or any other use of divination or any other practice, occult practice, for pronouncing any names that I shouldn't have pronounced, which are very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, um, and for protecting us in always, in always, always, in the name and the power and the glory of Jesus Christ, in, in the name of God Almighty. And so mm -hmm. it is, right? You, before you even finish the sentence, you know it's true because it said, anything you ask for in faith, you shall receive. So it, your faith is very important, as is the, um, the methodology and your uh, ability to perform it correctly and so forth and not miss anything. Um, with fumigation, it's basically you're you're using blessed holy blessed white candles. You're using the frankincense and myrrh crystals. In fact, I have a container here to show everybody. Oh, it's called Majesty Brand. But you have um, holy water. I mean, authentic holy water, and you recite the twenty, the Our Father, the Hail Mary, and the twenty third Psalm three times in a row in each room, and let that smoke billow everywhere, and have every drawer open, every cabinet, but if you don't know what you're doing or how to handle the ramifications of this, this is a religious provocation in a home that could be infested with demonic spirits. If you right. perform this, you better have somebody there who knows what they're doing. So Bishop James Long is a good friend of mine. He's a huge mm -hmm. proponent of my books. And he was the first Catholic bishop to actually come to the aid of the general paranormal community to help out when they open doorways that they shouldn't open or they get involved in something that's beyond what they hoped to encounter. Mm -hmm. And he actually is a huge proponent of my books. He's talking about them all the time. He gave me a phenomenal write-up, which is on my website, Dark Siege, if you scroll down. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's one thing, you know, he said, you know, demonology is not paranormalology. It's, um, it's theology. And this is something, you're, you know, very, very serious work. And Ed said, mm -hmm. when you go down the path of a demonologist and you start down that path you're marked you know and it, it's basically you're putting on the armor and you're going to battle you know and mm -hmm. you're, you're putting on the uniform in other words and you're you're marking yourself as as a valid target mm -hmm. but you better know what you're doing and you better be serious about it and you absolutely must have absolute faith that you're protected and mm -hmm. it's the most that's again the first question lorraine asked me you know how strong is your faith Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did notice that um, when, when we uh, had a shaman on the team, mm. once she got going on this team, all those negative cases came towards us. Mm. It was like a beacon, like, like you say, you're marked, you know, yeah. and suddenly that's all we were doing was negative, 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 negative. So I agree with you on that 100%. Yeah. Um, you know, but for you personally, now you know. Now that you're on your own, you're on you're on with your own team and all this, how do you prepare? How do you prepare to go on a case like that? 
bugs this person to stop. Once he starts messaging me, it's never ending. <laughs> I'm just trying to say stop messages. I'm on a podcast. I don't want to hear the beep beep all the time. So repeat that question, please. You know, for you personally, when you're going out in a case like that, how do you prepare yourself? Okay. So again, I've always known I was protected, but I think it is imperative, right, to call upon the aid of the archangels, call upon the aid of, of Jesus Christ. Okay. And I don't think many people do it. And they think it's hokey or it's, you know, then, you know, they're not Bible thumpers and things like that, but mm -hmm. they're waiting for us to call upon them. And Bill Bean is, I mean, it is such a blessing to be in this man's presence when he's, when he's, you know, praying or, or declaring victory over these forces and so forth. But you, so I always visualize a brilliant golden uh, field of light in my heart, the size of a golf ball. It's a brilliant golden field of energy. Mm -hmm. It's my God spark. It's my one light. One spark in the light of the sun, which is the creator, for instance, it's it's our protection that we can never be without. Mm -hmm. A lot of us believe that we're not connected or we're not worthy to be connected, but you visualize this thing expanding left and right, of course, uh, top and bottom, but front and back. A lot of people don't protect themselves in the rear of their body because they just don't think about that. But you have to visualize yourself inside this brilliant golden field of light that is absolutely impenetrable because it's it's God's light, right? Nothing of a negative nature can breach that field. Mm -hmm. um, and it is internally permeable. So any negative thoughts can leave, otherwise they're gonna be bouncing along inside there. So we have, an, we have all of our auric fields, our energetic fields, but what people don't, I don't know, I can't, I say people don't realize that's wrong. Right, right, right. A lot of people don't realize is that if we have a mental field, we have an emotional field, our physical body, right? And our spiritual protection our spiritual protection is very, 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 it's the most important. And if you're baptized, it's mm -hmm. very, very powerful. Or if you're blessed or prayed over, or if you're very spiritual, for instance, you know that you and the Father are one, for instance. Um, and when somebody recites the 23rd Psalm, I'm a, I'm a, I, I practice pranic, pranic healing. Um, and uh, Master Stephen Coe, um, when he, who's very psychic, he can see when somebody recites the 23rd Psalm, it's like their aura just goes, just explodes right into this field of protection. And you have to mean it, right? But mm -hmm. you do all these things before ever, ever setting foot inside a home, but you should also do it before you even consider taking on a case that's that comes to your attention. You should do it every day when you wake up and before you go to sleep. So you're adding levels of protection to your, to your body as your body mm -hmm. rests, your soul leaves. It's not going to sit around and wait. They say your soul can have an entire lifetime full of experiences in the eight-hour window that your body's sleeping because there's no time or space outside of the third dimension. So there's all kinds of really great metaphysical um, information that people can learn. But, um, you know, even when we, we wake up and go to the bathroom and things like that, we're not fully, fully conscious and fully present and the soul can move in and out whenever it wants to. But it also makes you vulnerable um, so the, again, Lorraine, she would, she always made sure you are well rested, that no drugs of any kinds, including pharmaceuticals, no alcohol, right? You're, you're in a good space emotionally and mentally. You're not depressed. You don't have anything bothering you. You're not distracted. Mm -hmm. You're fully present, fully protected before you set foot in any of these really dangerous cases, because again, you're putting everybody else at risk. Um, not only yourself. Absolutely. There's a question in the chat room, and I think it pertained to something you said earlier. And she says, yeah, that one, the teleport. I've never witnessed somebody being teleported. Um, I believe in it wholeheartedly. 
Um, there is a there is a report from multiple witnesses that an entire refrigerator teleported from the kitchen of a home onto the cellar steps right near where Lorraine Warren was walking, scared out of her wits. I didn't witness it personally. I can't comment on it. I only comment on what I've seen and experienced, but um, I do know there are things that are called apports. I'm talking about somebody actually disappearing. So when you ask, how can that be? If, mm -hmm. if we truly were physical beings, that would be one heck of a feat, but we're not, right? We're fields of awareness. We're flashing in and out of existence. We're, we're energy. Everything is energy. When you look at a, the, the minutest part of, a, of an atom and the molecules, it's really just a wave flashing, right? We're particles and we're fields of light. So nothing's really physical. Everything's just a vibratory rate. But I've seen uh, mass projections of things into people's minds, just like we all saw the blue light. And I'm talking mm -hmm. about horrible, heinous things like billions of black flies and worms and, and uh, the scents and smells of, of urine and uh, excrement and things and a pool of urine that appeared in the floor where the Ouija board was used in the case that I wrote called Dark Siege. Mm -hmm. That was so, it just would never uh, diminish. No matter how many bath towels were placed into it, it would soak them all completely like you're sticking your hands into a swimming pool and then mm -hmm. within a flash, Everything's completely gone. The towels are completely dry, right? And these are mass projections bypassing the physical eyes into the minds to do what? To frighten and terrorize people because we we release this fear energy that, that they use as a fuel source. But regarding teleportation, when Ed said that he could have teleported you, now here's an interesting thing, right? We all went on a case, not the Warrens didn't go, but all the investigators working with them did or for them did. And... Uh, because a lot of the activity that the family had uh, undergone over the previous months took place in the bathroom. When I had to use the bathroom, I decided I'm not going to get stuck in there. Um, I'm going to go down, walk down to the street to the Dunkin' Donuts and use that bathroom. I didn't mm -hmm. tell anybody that I'd left. And they actually were genuinely worried that I had been teleported because I was literally gone without trace. So they believe it happens and they've seen, mm -hmm. they, some people I know who have worked with the Warrens have witnessed a dog, for instance, dematerializing before their eyes and mm -hmm. he would be far away into the woods, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So they can just do that. And it's, these are not human spirits, obviously. These are, right. these are demonic spirits who are operating outside of time and space, you know, who have all their, all their preternatural abilities and so forth. This is all direct quotes from Ed, by the way. You brought up something just now that, that I do. I do not use bathrooms in haunted locations. I never have. And I, it's just a feeling I get, like you say, to feel trapped or you're sitting there doing whatever, whatever you're doing and there's something right in your face, right? Especially you know, with a dark case like that mm -hmm. because I've had stuff taken off the counters and thrown at me, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't do that either. So that's interesting. Why... What, why do you hone in on not using the bathroom in a place like that? I don't know. It was just, I trust my instincts. I trust my gut, my heart. They mm -hmm. said, it's not your heart. It's not your gut. You're trusting your heart. Mm -hmm. Ed always says, always follow your instincts. So when we were at that house that I was telling you about, mm -hmm. he asked, would you want to stay the night in this house? Right. And I said, I don't think that would be in my best interest. You know, and he mm -hmm. said, always trust your instincts. Right. And he gave me a pat on the shoulder. So, you know, he did a lot of analyzing and a lot of studying and a lot of uh, get a lot of impressions based upon how people react. Because if if you freak out just because you're you're left down in the basement, you know, mm -hmm. and the light turns off, the door closes, then you're not going to be much good if the real deal happens and you're in a big 
big, big bad situation. Mm-hmm. You have to have people that you can trust and so forth and to, and to count on um, to help you in these types of situations. You're lucky that you haven't experienced anything that's a really, really, really dark nature because these things, you know, I always say like in this case, Dark Siege, you know, they always leave the alpha of the family last. Right. They'll go after the weakest link first, the black sheep in the family, the one that's dabbling in alcohol or drugs, witchcraft, the occult, um, somebody who's sensitive. And they'll keep the alpha of the family for last. Now, it's one thing to be attacked. Right. You're an investigator, you know, and I'm sure you've you've learned and and studied what uh, can happen in the worst case scenario. But at least you have that knowledge. For somebody who's completely oblivious to the fact that spirits exist, in fact, they 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 laugh at the idea to then be attacked by an invisible force or watch mm-hmm. their family get attacked by an invisible force that is battering them and bruising them and clawing them and biting them. All these things happen in the Stark Siege case, lifting them off the ground by some invisible force and having them slide down the, the face of the chimney with and scraping mm-hmm. their back on the, on the slate hearth, for instance, or being choked. <laughs> That's enough to draw you to, to make you lose it and go nuts. Right. But it's mm-hmm. another thing entirely to know that this force hates you with every fiber of its existence and wants mm-hmm. to do everything it can to destroy your life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the ultimate horror show when you realize that not only are they they've made their way or they've infested your home but they're there to stay and their ultimate goal is to destroy you or possess all of you and then destroy you um it's absolutely horrific you know and and people delve into this stuff you know ad nauseum they have no you know no qualms about going and buying a ouija board and you know playing right playing with it like it's a game and it's mm-hmm. it's presented as, as a game and ed warren said the Ouija board's the most dangerous piece of negative occult paraphernalia in existence. Absolutely. Responsible for 95% of all the cases of demonic infestation that he's ever investigated. And he'd done thousands of cases. They were at this since the 50s, right? And I say mm-hmm. that they're the, they're the pioneers of the modern American paranormal investigation craze. Without them, I don't think any of the TV shows would exist. Right. They're all scripted tabloid television tele- bullshit. Right, 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 right. And... Um, none of the conventions was, would exist. I don't think many of the podcasts would exist. And I don't think the right. entire idea of going to investigate a place where alleged haunting phenomena is taking place would exist if it weren't for the Warrens. And I give them all the praise in, if, in the world. And, right. You know, they've taken a lot of hits, you know, especially after their, after their decease. And I said, I've witnessed nothing but honorable, credible, admirable behavior from them. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't for them. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, God bless them both. You know, you mentioned the Ouija board. And one thing I have found, either people have been playing, like you say, have been playing with it and ended up inviting, inadvertently getting, you know, bringing something in. But I've also found that even during the initial interview with clients, they'll lie and say they don't have one. Yeah. You know? And That's for this case, too. The, the three teens played with it. They didn't want to admit it to anybody, and they didn't even admit it to us when we arrived to help them mm-hmm. with the absolute horror show that they were experiencing until we all knew, because nothing of this nature can happen unless mm-hmm. a doorway has been opened and they've been, they've been invited in. Mm-hmm. Now, they can be invited in with the Ouija board, of course, because you're initiating contact, you're using your free will, but also mm-hmm. through black magic and also through you know uh, seances and um, 
that type of stuff, necromancy, of course, and all those types of things. But <laughs> unless somebody actually invites them into the house, they're not coming in. And, you know, eventually we got to the bottom of it. And once you do, you know, you have to let everybody know that, you know, what's done is done and you can't hold grudges and you cannot, you absolutely must forgive Mm-hmm. The people that have used it in the house, like the, in this case, it was the teenagers and the mother was mm-hmm. completely ballistic because her husband ended up being fully possessed. Right. And mm-hmm. her six year old daughter was being attacked, you know, and it was just, you know, she couldn't she had a really tough time. And, but I told her, I said, look, you absolutely must release this and maintain a strong family unit, because in these cases, that's why I call it dark siege, because these people sure. were under siege where there were forces trying to get into their house. They've already made it into the house causing, you know, trying to destroy everybody. And I recreated the case in a cinematic horror format. So it's like you're reading a Stephen King book. Mm-hmm. And I have a bachelor's in English creative writing. And if you look at my reviews on Amazon, I have over 400 reviews. And the most common comments across the board is I could not put this book down because I had to know what happened next. Bishop mm-hmm. James Long promoted the books. He gets me on, he got me on coast to coast about it. Um, and uh, there's a sequel because they came back after the family 33 days later, mm-hmm. including incubus and succubus attacks, which are sexuals mm-hmm. of an extreme nature. And again, it was Bishop Long that convinced me to release that aspect because I write like you're right there experiencing everything and who the heck would want to experience that or relive mm-hmm. that, right? Mm-hmm. But he convinced me to release it because people need to know how serious, though rare, how serious these types of attacks are and that they right. need to seek help from clergy immediately. They're the last line of defense. And that's why I put together the defeating the demonic event which happened last July and which is now happening on October 20th in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's going to be a 12 hour event at the Bijou theater. I'm bringing in Archbishop Ronald file Enright. He was the chief exorcist for the order sacred order of St. Michael, um, order of exorcist, Archbishop James cloud, uh, the Reverend Bill Bean. And we're going to show the world again, uh, but this is going to be twice as long how these cases take place what the signs are, what the process is in evaluating them and actually arranging it so that there's actually an exorcism that can take place, how we cleanse and purify the homes, how Mm -hmm. we dealt Bill Bean delivers everybody, um, praying over everybody, of course, but it's going to be sure we're going to be showing examples, video, audio, and to warn the public, you know, this stuff is very real. We are in a battle, you know, we're a good, good versus evil and we are knee deep in it. And the mm-hmm. number of cases that are taking place today mm-hmm. are unbelievable. So again, if you go to my darksiege.com website, click on the, uh, there's the video, we have a promo video for it. But if you click on the poster, it'll take you right to the Eventbrite site. Uh, okay. It's in Bridgeport, Connecticut, easily accessible from Long Island over the ferry, New York City, Boston. And it's going to blow you away. We have 190 seats available. We want to take it nationwide, but if you found any of this information valuable, you know, you can grab any number of my books at my website. You can mm-hmm. grab a ticket for the Eventbrite um, event in October. You can donate um, any of that stuff. And my books, they'll blow you away. And if you want to understand the process of investigating a haunted house using the Warren's methodology, which is what I do mm-hmm. as the protege, and understand what this family endured, they were never going to talk about it. And mm-hmm. Most of the extreme cases you'll never hear about because the families don't want the ridicule. They don't want to suffer a recurrence, which is what happened a second time Mm -hmm. um, and so forth. And they finally gave me permission to to recreate their case. 
completely changing it so it doesn't come back after them changing identities right because they devastated them a second time mm-hmm. um and uh you know it's to warn people my whole purpose is not to terrify people right to show them through the book what happened and how and why and in the chapter analysis i explain it all what the family did right and wrong uh how and why this activity is taking place and through my understanding of the science and spirituality of the paranormal and so forth but there's so much information to convey and we're already at 56 minutes i can't believe it blew by that fast i flew by everyone fast my one last question to you too on this is when you say that it came back to attack them what were the circumstances to have it come back like that they basically we determined that anybody who wasn't actually blessed by the bishop or heard confession in the chapel at the exorcism uh was open for attack and anybody who of course gave it recognition was open but they actually came right back after the psychic first my friend Yvonne and they appeared it appeared this thing appeared in her she was in her kitchen making tea late in the evening and she had the tingles in her head and she realized something's trying to communicate with her but then she realized it was demonic the cat ran underneath the sofa freaked Mm -hmm. out because they're our first line of defense they can see Mm -hmm. more of the electromagnetic spectrum than we can but she saw in her vision, in her mind, this this behemoth in her kitchen. It was like a brown, like a black brown bear-bodied beast with a, a bird-like head, with like an owl beak, red eyes, slithering tentacles, big um, talons for feet, and it projected in her mind what it's going to do to everybody for payback for for re- ejecting them the first time. And she immediately went ran to the phone and tried to call everybody. And um, they went after, they were, they were hell-bent on trying to get back inside the house. They took mm-hmm. the guise of black-eyed children, which I'd never even heard of really before that happened. Um, and that was intense and terrifying. They uh, caused the neighbor, the best, the family's best friend, who's instrumental in actually um, getting them help, mm-hmm. uh, to have a massive car, or her minivan was completely crushed in front of their house against the boulders by a box truck that that claimed that the car had turned into the driveway, mm-hmm. right? But then it was right back in the road again. So whether that was a projection into his mind mm-hmm. or not, or it moved the whole van, who knows? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was just unbelievable. They went after the six-year-old with a vengeance, trying to get her. Um, they actually cohabitated her in uh, not full possession, but it was absolutely terrifying. So Dark Siege, A Connecticut Family's Nightmare is a gradual build about the first right. phases of how they actually drew this spirit home from the cemetery with them, but nobody believed them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And this hits you on the head and never lets go, um, never lets up until the end. And again, it's Ed Warren called it the most devastating case of demoniacal retribution we've ever experienced. And that means mm-hmm. these spirits came back after everybody with a vengeance who in any way stood against them. The three teenagers who used the Ouija board, the older mm-hmm. sister, the younger sister, older sister's boyfriend, the, na- uh, the best friend, the neighbor's dog, was mutilated and it was just it was horror show after horror show and again bishop long read the whole thing i sent him the whole pdf and i said i'm really hesitant to release this this aspect of the case because it was just so freaking devastating and he said he read it from cover to cover and he could not put it down he said you have to release it so it's a great read it's very informative the analysis will help you understand but also help you how to call and protect uh, help you know how to call in protection properly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Jason, thank you so much. This hour blew by very, very quickly. Sure did. 
I learned so much. That's what I love about this show is like you say, it's all about education. Yep. And that's what we're trying to do here is educate people on the paranormal and what, what you know, the good parts and what could go really wrong like like this, you know, and stuff like this. So I, I thank you so much. And You're I welcome. admire and I admire the work you do. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. All right. So maybe we get you back on a later date or something to talk more about this stuff. Sounds good. All right, sir. Well, thank you so much. And I will go ahead and tease your website and everything at the end, and people know how to get a hold of you. Thank you. Have a great night. Right. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. Well, that was really, really great. I mean, it's a, it's an eye-opener for people that have never have been involved in cases like this. But it also puts out a lesson out there that you have to be really careful. Don't, don't, don't play around with this stuff. Don't play around. Tomorrow night, because uh, Nancy's off tomorrow night, I there's there's no one scheduled, so you're going to get me, and I'm going to be talking about, uh, I just might be talking about this subject, you know, go over some of the cases that we've had that have been on the dark side, not necessarily um, demonic, but, you know, the, maybe the difference between an angry ghost and something that's de demonic, to explain it all to you guys, because we, like I said, we've had three or four demonic cases over the years, and uh, you know, I've never really talked about them. There's been a couple of times where I wanted to, but I just didn't really have the right venue kind of day mood to talk about them. So I think that's what we're going to go over tomorrow night. And then we're going to talk about how people got, got involved with this stuff. Just like uh, one of that one particular case we had where they had been messing with the Ouija board and never told us. And Trish... This, uh, our, our, our medium, Trish, actually is the one that honed in on that Ouija board. They had it hidden up at the top of a closet. And then we had to completely change how we were approaching the case. So uh, I think that's what I'm going to do tomorrow night. So that'll be usual time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. All right? And I want to thank you all for coming tonight. I really appreciate it. I know Jason appreciates it. I, I was looking forward to having him on, and he did not. It, it, it was not a disappointment. It was great. But... Uh, I hope you guys learned something just like I did. And again, I'm going to show you all of Jason's information before we sign off and grab his book. I started to read his book. I have his book here. I got about halfway through it, and it freaked me out. I'm here alone sometimes, so, you know, I try to read during the day when I'm reading stuff like that. All right. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are here at Equal Opportunity here, just trying to build the show up and get... Get our numbers up and to the people in our RSS feed. Thank you very much for listening to us in your car or wherever you happen to be listening to us. And for the rest of you that watch us on screen, thanks a bunch. Thanks a bunch. All right, here's Jason's information, and uh, then we'll call it a night. So here we go. His website is darksiege.com, all lowercase. And one of the books is Dark Siege. That's the one he was talking about tonight. Check it out. I, I, I got the book. I read it. Oh, my gosh. I'm in the process. I got to do the other half of it now. Another one is Our Journey Home. And this is um, the uh, handbook for the death transition. And Dark Siege 2, The Nightmare Returns. And, of course, you can get those on his website, or, of course, Amazon has them. Uh, you might want to get them on the website. The author makes more on the website than they do with Amazon. I hate to say it that way, but it's true. Anyway, I'll see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific, and we're going to be talking dark cases and dark forces. 
Have a great evening, everybody.